Hi everyone, Sean Paul Ellis here from the Saturday Morning Cartoons Podcast. Remember, that's morning with you. Some pre-show announcements. I promised to keep them quick. Last week, I was so good at it. Will I fail or succeed this week? Who really knows? We have a couple quick pre-show announcements pertaining to a shout-out, Patreon. And then, what's actually happening on today's episode? For our shout-out, this goes on our recent episode, 247, The Last Kids on Earth, review and interview with Nick Wolfhard. We have Lazy Potato Lover asks, why is it an hour with no movie clips? Well, Lazy Potato Lover, I want to tell you this first and foremost. I absolutely love your name. It's pretty perfect. The reason we can't do that is because we don't own any of these cartoons. This is IP that is owned by other people. We do not have cartoons of our own. Otherwise, promise, we would show them nonstop. Uh, We can't do this for legal reasons, and so that's why our podcast is always just a review. We encourage you to watch these cartoons and definitely check them out when they're released. So very sorry, Lazy Potato Lover, and for all the hundreds of other people who have asked this exact same question on YouTube and have gotten very angry at us in different languages, we can actually just never show them. It's just never going to happen. So please find them, support these artists. They do great work. Sorry, Lazy Potato Lover, but I do love your name. Quick ask. We have a Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon account, and you can support this show and our original content for this podcast. I buy coffee, blah, 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 blah. Look, we're asking for maybe like a couple bucks a month uh, that you would normally otherwise spend at a Starbucks. It all goes into keeping this show ad-free so that we don't have to sell you cool socks or cool new underwear or a security camera for your house. Get that crap out of here. You don't want it. We don't want to sell it to you. We don't want to do it. We just want this to just be our unfiltered reviews about everything that we have. If you don't want to support us, fine. Be that way. I don't really care. If you do want to support us, awesome. We really appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. So thank you. What is actually on today's episode? Gandhi Tartakovsky has shaped a lot of our cartoon minds over the years. He has worked on so many things like Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, the movies, Hotel Transylvania, all three of them. He is now releasing Primal as a part of a five-night event on Adult Swim, and wow, is it very mature. We also have an opportunity to sit down for an interview with him. So Dave gets to interview Tartakovsky to learn a little bit more about this show. Ultimately, we have two characters, Spear and Fang, and we have absolutely zero dialogue in this cartoon beyond roars and grunts. So does this style of visual storytelling work? And how does zero dialogue actually function within a mature cartoon? All of this and more. So now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the Collider weekly podcast for all things animation, including news, reviews, and interviews Coming to you all the way from the Paleolithic era, I'll be your co-host, Sean Paul Ellis. And joining me today, he's got some really, really small arms. Welcome my co-host, Dave Trumbor. Hey, buddy. Good to be here. How's it how, How's it going? I saw you. I got, sorry. I was. I had a quip like, ready to go, but then I couldn't reach my mouse to, uh. Uh, to switch over. So it just kind of, that joke just kind of went extinct. <laughs> Did you set up a failed joke no, to then make a dinosaur? Not until pun? I was in the middle of Are it. Are you sure? I'm proud of myself. I mean, that was pretty good. I'm, and I'm we've lost it. 90% of our listeners. I'm looking at our live metrics. 90% of you just stopped listening. So to the 10% who remained, congratulations. And thank you. And the only remaining people are 
friends of the show that were interested in dad dinosaur jokes, hey, we're going to have a ton of them for you today. So don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. If dad dinosaur jokes is what you're here for, oh boy, are you not going to like what we're about to talk about? (laughs) But it's going to play into a lot of those common themes and elements, which is going to be a lot of fun. If you're not interested or you didn't read the title of today's episode, we are talking about the upcoming Adult Swim cartoon by Gendy Tartakovsky, who you might know because he's been in tons of cartoons that have probably shaped your childhood over the years, including Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, the original Star Wars Clone Wars that came out before the CGI one that a lot of people know and associate with right now. So he has done tons and tons of work. He's has... Even did the movie Hotel Transylvania. Yeah, all three of them. Yep. All three of them. This is sort of, you know, his return to form after Samurai Jack came back after its very long hiatus to conclude this, the show. And now we are back with Primal and kicking into this, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that, like, um, we should also probably tease, speaking of Tartakovsky, that I actually got to speak with him uh, for, exactly. <laughs> for the show. So we have an interview with Tartakovsky and myself that will follow our normal kind of, like, standard uh, structure here on the show of our review with the good, the bad, and the LOL. But before we get to all that, we are actually going to turn this over to a longtime listener and friend of the show, Bobby Anthem, to give you a small synopsis of exactly what to expect with Primal. So small. So small, Bobby. So small, just like Dave's arms right now. So So small. Bobby, take it away. Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal is a new prehistoric animated series that follows a caveman at the dawn of evolution as he forms an unlikely friendship with an almost extinct dinosaur. The stunning and epic series is a painting come to life, relying solely on music and graphic imagery to tell the story of two unlikely allies as they navigate through a treacherous world. After bonding over unfortunate tragedies, they seem to become each other's only hope of survival against a common enemy. Awesome. Thank you, Bobby. Also, I know that we say this every time, but I would sort of 100% be cool with Bobby narrating any either dinosaur documentary or if it was just him for the next Jurassic Park movie. I know that they've announced upcoming cast, but I would rather if Bobby just did the entire thing. I like that we actually broke that news, but uh, it seems to get lost in the shuffle sometimes. But yeah, we had a we had a screening of uh, Jurassic Park and I believe the short from Colin Trevorrow, and we brought the original cast uh, out onto the stage. And yeah, they announced that they were coming back for the new one, which was pretty cool. But um, I mean, I'm good with that. I'm better with Bobby just being like the only cast member who's not a dino <laughs> in that movie. I would also like I I feel like if I made friends with Bobby in the prehistoric era, I feel like we'd get along pretty well and he would keep me alive, which would be good. I don't know if I'd be useful to him at all. Um I don't know if there are too many prehistoric podcasts. It's my only it's my that's, only marketable skill. <laughs> that's the only thing keeping you from going back into prehistoric times is the fact that there's no podcasts. That's it. Yeah. Right. Otherwise I'd be there. Honestly, great qualification to have right now. Mm-hmm. It is. Filling out that prehistoric resume, getting on prehistoric LinkedIn, get a network a little bit. Look, I mean, you joke, but like I would go back. I would go Land of the Lost style. I would go uh, Dino Riders, the live action dinosaur. Remember that sitcom? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That was great. Not the mama. Not the mama. I mean, arguably the weakest character on the show, but I love the rest of the, yikes, I love the rest of that that show and that setup. And I love how they kind of treated mammals because we were like, small and like um 
not evolved at that point. Weren't we like little little furry creatures just like roaming around? I actually don't remember for the live you action don't remember dinosaurs. That? No, I mean I watched a lot of it, but I don't remember humans in that sense. Yeah, because they weren't like humans per se. They was it was just like early mammals, and they were just kind of like small, furry, fuzzy, rodent kind of creatures. Okay, kind of like, like, like those those like little creatures that they have like a dark crystal. It's very similar to like dark crystal. Yeah, okay. like like a furry podling essentially. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Can we just talk about dinosaur all day? Yeah, we nice. are actually going to talk all about dinosaurs for the next, you know, bunch of minutes. So buckle up, Dave. Get ready. This, I mean, this, this is like we we talk about a lot of dinosaurs on this show. I mean, go back and watch, listen to our dinosaur suite from Denver, the last dinosaur, to Dino Riders, to Dinosaurs, to what else do we have? Uh, Cadillacs, Cadillacs and dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. So we have we have quite a few. And very early in this show, I was on a big dinosaur kick myself. Yeah. So. I wanted to watch all of the dinosaur cartoons that <laughs> I remembered did. from going up. And yeah, and we went through a majority of that catalog. So very happy with it. But this adds something new to that category because it's like the first time that we've watched a really brutal and visceral and bloody and adult in the sense of like kids probably shouldn't be watching this, especially if they're into dinosaurs at this moment. Uh, this is more of a, of a, of a mature adult. <clears throat> kind of cartoon like if you if you ever played Turok back in the day that's one of the first things that came to yes. mind for me it was like a Turok is on the level with primal of like adult themes and and right. mature material in this yeah I probably should not have played Turok Dinosaur Hunter on the N64 when I was a kid yeah no we definitely should not have and I 100% still have the game and my N64 upstairs. That's awesome. So. Every once in a while, I still want to play that. I go down to the local like half-price shop, and I'm like, is it there today? Does it work? Is it worth $2? I don't know. Probably is worth $2 now at this point. But it probably won't work like every N64 cartridge I buy there. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's a bummer. So we are going to talk about Primal today. And yep. for, for any new listeners and anybody out there, uh, who is a longtime listener, we are going to do this in terms of the good, the bad, the ugly. No, we're not talking about the Spaghetti Western. We are talking about uh, what we liked in this show, what didn't work for us. And then finally, instead of the ugly, because a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money uh, goes into actually making these cartoons, we're going to talk about the LOL. So what made us laugh out loud unintentionally or intentionally within the context of the show itself. For this show, there were actually surprisingly a couple minutes that really, really made me laugh. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of humor to be found in here. Yeah. And that shouldn't surprise you guys if you're fans of uh, Samurai Jack because there are a lot of like darker elements, but then obviously a lot more of it is comedy. Yeah. Right. To kick us off and get into this, let's jump into the good. Dave, what worked for you with Primal? I didn't really know what to expect uh, right out of the gates with this one because we kind of... This was our first look, obviously, and we got a chance to watch it before most people out there because it's going to be a five-night uh, event Five episodes, five nights, early October. We had a chance to check it out ahead of time just because of the nature of the business. But I didn't know what to expect before that. We saw some teasers. We saw some clips out of San Diego Comic-Con. And you could tell right off the bat that it was going to live up to the name, right? It was going to live up to the title of Primal. Because one of the first things that you see in this series is is blood. And it's not just like random, just like gouts of blood out of nowhere. It's it's You're introduced to the main character and he's he's fishing. But then there's blood that actually comes from a fish being impaled on a spear now i know that sounds kind of silly like oh okay blood i mean i guess that makes a good cartoon usually you don't get to see blood in kids cartoons go back to samurai jack the reason that he had to fight robots aliens monsters skeletons things like that is because you couldn't show blood on tv that that kind of has been like if it's a kid's cartoon you don't get to see blood that goes back to what 
decades and decades and decades yeah, of I like mean, standards and practices. Yeah. Exactly. You mean you think about GI Joe, and with the fact that they fought bats, those uh, like actual robots that they had right. during the time that GI Joe. Well, that's Joe's why they had laser them. guns yeah. that never hit anybody. Exactly. <laughs> that's why the A team never actually killed anybody. They were just like knocked out, or they were yeah. very sleepy, or whatever. So it was like. It's, it lets you know, if you're a fan of cartoons, it lets you know who this intended audience is for and what kind of ride you're in for. And it really doesn't take long for the violence to tick up, the action to like just go to another level, and to really get into what this show is all about. So like the fact that it lives up to its name, it's a visceral experience, it's set in a world, a, a kill or be killed kind of natural world with natural predators and pressures and starvation and extreme cold or extreme heat and all kinds of crazy stuff like that for me the fact that it lived up to its name uh was was a big selling point what about you right i, I want to actually say for me one of the things that i really enjoyed was sort of the the emotional aspect of the storytelling through the character's eyes mm. we have two particular characters that we're really going to kind of focus and talk about tonight being spear as well as also fang uh Spear is obviously the sort of the caveman, this Neanderthal or early human that we're talking about that is impaling that fish. Right. And he has, lo and behold, he has a spear. And then he, at some point, finds a, a T-Rex or a dinosaur that is called Fang. And uh, they form sort of an, uh, a tentative alliance. There's a little bit of a friendship that they have that's uh, sometimes complicated. Sometimes it's very beneficial for them. And I, I like that. I'd like to talk more about that. I mean, I'll let you finish, but I want right. to make sure we come back to that. Yeah. But just being able to tell so much of the story and the dynamic and the emotional connection that they have back and forth just through the character's eyes and almost these long pauses where you see these sort of slow reveals in their faces or in their eyes uh, or sort of simply what they're focusing on within the environment told more than I think that you could ever do with actual dialogue itself and just the amount of patience that they must have had to put this together. It's, it's really beautiful to watch. And the story that they tell between the two of them is incredible. Yeah, so to clarify a little bit, there is no dialogue in this <laughs> show. There is no spoken word. You've got one character who's like pre-modern human and the other character is a dinosaur. Right. They, they communicate but they don't speak. So you're not going to have a talking dinosaur. You're not going to have, a, you know, um, <laughs> even limited verbal cues. You're not getting much. You get a lot of grunts. And the voice actor by the name of uh, Aaron LaPlante, he did everything for Spear. And most of it is just shouts, grunts, yells, cries of pain, cries yeah. of anguish, cries of uh, whatever. But, I mean, to Sean's point, yeah, there's a lot of the visual storytelling there that they really had to focus on with the communication just visually told between those two characters. But there's also a lot of um, the noises in this world tell you like the severity of a scene, tell you if it's a, the, the musical score put together by uh, Tyler Bates, who you should probably know that name, and Joanne Higginbottom, both of whom have worked with Tartakovsky before. They really set the tone for each scene because they had to. Because you couldn't say, in this scene or on this corner or whatever. You had to like, you can have a jungle background and it could either be really intense and, and um, you know, dangerous or it could be very kind of peaceful and idyllic, but that was all down to the musical cues. Right. So that really did tell a ton of the story. The, um, 
what do you call it, the uh, sound effects, the the noises that they had to come up with, the catalog of like various screeches and animal noises and stuff. You can recognize a lot of them from previous cartoons that have been used before, but I feel like they really had to double down on getting creative with using um, those cues because you couldn't talk. There was no exposition to carry you from scene to scene. So yeah, that was really well done too. Yeah. Um, anything else that stood out for you for good good stuff? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, I want to say just the sense of danger and paranoia uh, going along the lines of what you mentioned with Tyler Bates, you know, just being able to understand that there's a lot of stillness on occasion in this cartoon. And whenever there was either even maybe a second of stillness, I suddenly began to find myself getting really nervous and anxious that something was going to happen Yeah, because, you know, Spear lives in a world where he could be food at any possible moment, and that becomes glaringly apparent within, I'd say, almost the first minute pretty much, yeah. of this show. And to kind of see these interactions and sort of see these threats that are within this prehistoric world, these things are constant. They come out of nowhere. And in some cases, there's almost no audio cue. So without warning, these things can uh, appear, whether it's you know giant snakes or... <laughs> Uh, or even just sort of a like a winged kind of pterodactyl or like a quetzalcoatl that like happens to just sort of you know kind of prey upon spear or other people, and so these things are are constant. They're they're ever present, and even when you think that there's a moment where they have sort of a reprieve, no, I mean it it, it just I I found myself sort of really getting anxious watching this every once in a while, especially during those moments where it was just kind of quiet, silent, or almost just patient uh, those were the moments that i was the most tense and i think it's kind of twofold because you, you said paranoia and it is in a sense if it was today if people were acting like that today it would be paranoia but right. because of the the world that this takes place in it's just a survival right. technique it's just like you need to be on alert you need to be watching you need to always have your head on a swivel and like find out what's around you or what's lurking in the water or what's hiding in the weeds or whatever because you're about to be a snack if you are not right. paying attention. So that really goes home, uh, drives home the point that the relationship between Spear and Fang is really essential in this story because it's a story of survival. Without getting too spoiler heavy, um, essentially something happens early on to both Spear and Fang that results in them being on their own. So there are other people in the world. There are other, obviously, creatures and dinosaurs in the world we're supposed to be meeting those two um, species kind of at the wane of, of the dinosaurs on the rise of the humans, even though that doesn't technically work out right, <laughs> scientifically right. or historically, but whatever. We'll let Tartakovsky do what he wants to do. <laughs> but then you're forced to, these two um, hunters and hunted are forced to kind of battle together. And I really like the way that they layered that relationship over. We've only seen four episodes out of five, but they didn't rush the relationship that you spend the entire second episode kind of building and they test each other and they're kind of working out those relationship dynamics for an entire episode. And there's only, f there's only five total to start with. Yeah. So like the first one kicks everything off, but then the second one's where you really get to see them testing each other. That one I really enjoyed. That entire second episode, I will talk about this during the LOL because there are okay. so many moments where they set up just great repetitious patterns yeah. for these characters. There's a great comedic sense of timing. It's wonderful. And I laughed a lot during that episode. Plus I also got very anxious because of the threat that is in that actually twofolds threat are like something that is kind of makes me very nervous. 
So to have both of them at the same time, I thought, oh, God, just like the water and the snakes both yep. freaked me out in, in terms of what was happening. And that was a moment where I was just like, nope, like whatever that little death noodle is that's <laughs> swimming around right there. Like Big I want death noodle too, I like want Titanic. No- yeah. yeah, I want nothing to do with that. And I mean, that, that's another thing I love about this series is the world that Tartakovsky has created. Now, um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is, I'm sure, going to have an issue with it. But I love the how like imaginative and kind of like wild it is. And you, he gets to kind of play around with scale, with uh, setting. We travel from like riverlands and jungle to um, whatever this like swampy hellscape is with all these snakes. Right. <clears throat> it was literally like a tsunami of snakes at one point uh, to, to that area. And then we travel to like the frozen north. We travel to an arid desert full of the, uh, you know, Rocky Mountains and, and um, you know, vast arid landscapes. So they really do travel around quite a bit in only a few episodes. And we still haven't even seen the fifth one yet. But what I really enjoyed about that is they didn't rush it at the same time. We got to see a lot of stuff. We got to see a lot of interaction between Spear and Fang. We got to see a lot of different characters, a lot of different action sequences and fights and fights for survival and, and, and uh, attempts to, you know, hunt to stay alive attempts to get warm either by fire or by clothing. It's almost like this weird encapsulated little evolution of man over time. I mean, not, it's not specifically meant to be that way, but it's almost like a, um, a boy and his dog story, right? So it's like those two characters, those two kind of, um, archetypes come together work together, use each other's, uh, strengths to offset the other's weaknesses and then are able to survive over, over time. But they added a Tartakovsky flair to it, which I loved. And speaking just of that Tartakovsky flair, yeah. you and I had been talking, and we did this in our last episode where we sort of came up with pitch ideas for if we were to try to summarize and explain this cartoon to somebody else, how would we sort of try to relate? What would we sort of do? Do you have any ideas of how you would pitch this out to somebody, Dave? I mean, it's if I'm being serious, it's kind of like White Fang meets uh, The Lost World. It's a pretty good one. Okay. If I'm not being serious, then it might end up like Old Yeller. I'm not really sure. We don't know. We haven't seen the fifth episode, and I want to talk about that a bit, too. But what about you? What's your um, metaphors? What's your corollary? I would say it's the vengeance of John Wick. It's the relationship dynamic of the odd couple with a little bit of the book Shiloh sprinkled in, but (laughs) just so happens to be in the Paleolithic era. So, surprise. Oh, and if we had to reference like an older cartoon, too, there's definitely an element in here where it made me think of Dino Riders, but only because Spear is riding Fang. He's an actual literal Dino Rider. Yeah, and you would think maybe that's a spoiler. It's not. It's, it's literally not. the like the title art for <laughs> yeah, for this fine. series, and it's awesome though too. Like there are some really cool, just like nerdy kids cartoon moments where you're just like, yeah, I wish I just had a badass spear and rode a dinosaur. It's like, guess what, kid? You're going to get it, because here it is. It's pretty cool. Yeah. At the same time, though, it's it's brutal. I mean, there are some brutal fight scenes in here. There are some things where it's like, it's survival of the fittest, but there's still a respect shown, at least from spear, not so much from fang. There is a respect shown. Like, if you have to kill an animal, and then you, you know, you kill an animal because you have to survive, too, but you at least show a mutual respect um, to that animal. Uh, when it's all said and done. I like that they included that. And again, that's like Sean was mentioning earlier with kind of like the communication through the eyes. There are scenes where it's a literal dying animal and you just see its eyeball and then you watch Spear's face and the interaction that they have. And right. it sometimes it's a predator and sometimes it's prey. And they both have wildly different messages that they're sending each other just through um, just through the looks. 
I, I want to mention one final thing that really worked for me in the good category is the design of the characters in this. Yeah. I love the design of Spear, the like, like just kind of toned down but still sophisticated look of this character, uncompromisingly in, like strong yeah. and, and, and able. The speed of him is unrelenting. I wish I could work out and do a cardio day with him because it <laughs> just looks incredible. Yeah. The amount of parkour that he does in this show is is just crazy. He's surprisingly nimble and like uh, I, agile yeah. too. Like, yeah, he he moves pretty well. Uh, when I talk to Tartakovsky, we talk about coming up with his kind of fighting style. He has some interesting um, answers to that, specifically because in Samurai Jack, they looked at martial arts styles to get those moves to get the kind of like graceful animation. Spear is a whole different beast. Yeah. And even just the, I want to say for Fang, I, I love the the design of Fang. I love to see Fang, but I will say everything else that is in that environment is more terrifying than Fang. I know that we've mentioned sort of this boy and a dog yeah. kind of relationship that they have. It, I guess this would be boy and a dog plus a nightmare mm-hmm. for everything else that's in this environment. It is It is really frightening and interesting and intriguing all at the same time and what's interesting about that is kind of twofold too it 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 brings that tartakovsky flair into it because it is wildly imaginative but there is a lot of grounded stuff with animal behavior so there's a whole episode i don't want to talk too much about it because of spoilers i want people to see it there's a whole episode that deals with a certain animal that has a modern equivalent and these animals when they're together in like a group they have this same kind of behavior. They have like an intelligence to them. They have a memory to them. They have an emotional range that they they can exhibit. And that's been documented in in these modern animals. I like that the show took that idea and kind of ran with it in like what would this look like in the prehistoric past? And how would that how would that look when it dovetails with the survival of Spear and Fang? Yeah. And it's very simple. It's very touching. Yeah. And the moment you see it it makes you think differently about everything that you saw in that episode up to that point. Yeah. So let's get in and talk a little bit about some of the things that didn't work for us in the show. Yeah. You have, you've mentioned that sometimes it gets a little too wild and that takes you out of it a little bit. No, I mean, you know, I think for me, and this is like, this is a, if I have to nitpick anything in this show, this is my only nitpick and it's very, very small. Dave began to kind of mention it with the idea that man and dinosaur never really overlapped. And as we've mentioned, this is sort of the, the Tartakovsky sort of flair of just really creating this wild world environment. There are some things that happen in the fourth episode that were kind of surprising and were very interesting. And so seeing those, and I'm not going to mention them because I, I don't want to spoil this because right. I really do want people like Dave to watch this show. It's, it's excellent it kind of goes in a direction where you're like, okay, I have to suspend disbelief for two seconds. Yeah. And you should, you like, you, you just, you should, it took me, it took me maybe like a minute or two minutes just to kind of get on board. But once I did, I, I was fully on board with exactly what was taking place within that episode. And it was great. So that is really my, my very, very tiny minuscule thing that didn't work for me. There's a lot of stuff almost, I want to say 99% of the show was great and really did work for me. That was the one thing that kind of made me step back and just go, okay, how like we're, 
we're very clearly escalating in terms of what's happening here. How how are we going to keep this trend going? And as we mentioned, the fifth episode isn't out. It's not available as right. a presser yet, so we actually don't know. This could very easily ratchet up into something where they're escalating this in terms of the scale and the threats very quickly. It could be very interesting, but for this fourth episode, it took me a second, but I'm still on board with it. And that's really my only knock. Is It's not even a knock on the show. It's just a knock on the fact that we haven't <laughs> seen it yet. I just want to <laughs> see the fifth episode because it's hard to give a complete review having only seen 80% of something. So what I've seen so far, I really enjoy. Um, to Sean's point, I love the fact that like you don't know what's going to happen next. There are a couple things that are like a little predictable and stuff, but for the most part, you don't know where each episode is going to swing from one scene or one second to the next. And it's not that they just like cut and jump around like wildly. It's just because it's a wild world and there's a lot of stuff in the area and you can kind of you know run with whatever you want to do. You can you can pick crazy stuff and run with it because it works. It works for the show. The only things that didn't really work for me were some of the moments where they wanted to have like a really dramatic kind of like almost like slow-mo kung fu fight in live action, you know, if you see like bullet time or whatever you get or in like a like a a video game uh, kill shot or whatever. It's like a real slow-mo. It's meant to like pump up the moment and like hype it up and make it really dramatic. There were a couple times in here where I was just like you need to you need to pace that up a little bit. It doesn't really. Are you talking about some of the moments in episode two where there was sort of the lightning in no, the background like, as I things don't were think happening? So. That I think was fine. It was more like, uh, say, if you're battling something that's kind of gigantic or, or or pretty pretty monstrous, and then you have like a kill shot, but then they have like a slow motion fall of it, and it takes forever to kind of like hit the ground. It loses some steam because you're like, okay, I know that you know, I know that we took this thing out, and I know it was a really like intense and dramatic fight. But, you know, if it takes 10 seconds for that thing to fall, uh, it pulls me out of it a little bit. That's like a hyper-focused nitpick. Just just little right. things like that that could have been paced a little bit better because they didn't quite carry the same weight or gravity that like a, a live-action fight would where you're kind of like, you're in it. It was also hard because it was like the scale of it. You know, we're watching on our computer monitor or whatever. It's like the scale of it doesn't quite get us there. I will say the only other thing that bugged me, yeah, we don't get to see episode five. So what... What do you think happens in episode five or what do you hope does or doesn't happen? As far as like the conclusion to this story as we know it so far. It's hard because I'm either hoping that Spear finds more Mm. humans and those humans are accepting of Fang or we find more Fangs and they're accepting of Spear. For me, that would sort of make it interesting is that realization of they're not truly alone but as we've mentioned you know sort of the inciting incident behind this that kind of brought both of them together is the sense of loss and sort of this respect uh that was forged in the battleground pretty much out of necessity Um, yeah yeah exactly and so you know i my fear is is that if they find a group of others whether it's more humans or more t-rexes that we're going to see them and then lose them again. <laughs> so there are definitely some moments that were hard when you saw Spear lose some people yeah. that were very close to him. That uh, that was really yeah, terrifying. Yeah, they're pretty early on. Yeah, like very very wide eyed, like 
seeing people get snatched up, it was... It's it brutal. Was, I'll say this, though. The, the only things I'm kind of, like, excited for and worried about at the same time, Episode 5 could very easily have a Planet of the Apes kind of resolution. And I don't know if I want that to happen or really would rather that it didn't happen. This is obviously supposed to be in like the prehistoric past, but because he's played with time and space before and things like Samurai Jack, he very easily could be like, nope, surprise, suckers. This is like a far-flung future Earth where some things survived and then either evolved or devolved or however you want to say it, turned into these things. I don't know if he's going to do that. I don't think he will, but there's a possibility that it might be. So prepare yourselves for that. We don't know. We're just kind of spitballing. I'd prefer something original, but I don't know how else I'd like to end this first five episodes. We also don't know if there's going to be more. Um, I asked Tartakovsky about it, and he says basically it has to, they have to see how people like it, uh, if they want to order more or not. So we'll see. We'll see about that one. Let's jump into our final topic of just the LOLs. Yeah. These are the things that intentionally, unintentionally made us laugh out loud. Dave, what made what did you enjoy? What was an LOL moment for I, you? I think it's going to be the same as yours where you mentioned um, essentially both of our characters are trying not to starve. So a spear <laughs> is like using his like finely honed hunting skills. Uh, Fang is just snatching them up uh, right in front of him. He gets a spear gets so pissed that it's hilarious. Is that what you're going to say too? Yeah, there's this moment where Spear is is trying to capture this food and Fang is just denying him and they go through this pattern of just Spear getting very close, Fang getting the prey ahead of time. And then in one moment, finally, Spear sees a bug, grabs it, just chomps the head right off of it and eats it. And he's holding this bug like it's almost like a like a protein bar. Yeah. Because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is. Yeah, it was. Like and Lion King. Slimy yeah. yet satisfying. Yeah. Perfect. And so he's he's eating this, and you just see Fang's snout just kind of come in like a dog at a dinner table, just sort of almost to say, like, what you eating? What's that? Can, can I have can some? I, can I have some? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was that really made me laugh a lot. That yeah. whole episode... There was a, a beautiful contrast just in terms of how frustrated Spear was with Fang, and it sort of became vice versa as yep. well. And so them kind of finally resolving and, and understanding this sort of mutual respect and sort of how they have to operate as a team, because ultimately survival for them is the, the biggest concern. And that's the thing, like Fang at any point could just be like, nah, I'm tired of you, and just like snap and literally just kill Spear. Or vice versa. I mean, Spear is pretty formidable too they they are really they work really well together in their fighting styles because they complement each other they do kind of go toe-to-toe a couple times and yeah. neither of them either is able to get the upper hand on the other or wants to deliver that killing blow so that's kind of interesting but yeah i mean that would be the end of the story <laughs> if one of them just killed the other one and decided to eat it but then they'd be dead too so that's the thing it's kind of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing that that comes into play as well, where it's sort right. of like we need each other to survive. I don't like it, but it's necessary. Um, the only stuff that literally made me laugh out loud were obviously the jokes that they scatter throughout this series and go figure the jokes made me laugh, but they actually work in this because it's all physical humor. So right. some of it's very silly. There's a scene where there's essentially like a sheer rock face that goes up to a mountain mountain <laughs> cave and poor Fang <laughs> just keeps running at this thing like naruto trying to to run up the tree uh just keeps trying and just keeps failing and i mean 
it's not a rule of three. It's a rule of like 13 or something at this point because they keep showing it over and over and over again. And it's funny. And it eventually gets to a point where, you know, they run out of jokes and they move on with the story. But I mean, stuff like that that they scatter throughout, that felt like Samurai Jack. That felt like Dexter's Lab. That right. felt like, you know, some of the better jokes and stuff from Hotel Transylvania. That That's where Tartakovsky really kind of like shows that he has a comedic touch as well. Uh, because it's based on the old classic, you know, vaudeville, slapstick, classic cartoon stuff. And it still works today because it's still funny. There's there's a final bit that is in episode two. We've, we've mentioned these giant snakes that they're they're yeah. fighting. And lo and behold, the episode, I believe, is called River of Snakes. River of Snakes. They have great so, episode titles, too. Yeah, we're not really, we're not really spoiling anything nah. here. Uh, but there's a moment towards the very end where there is a snake that sort of threatens Fang spear jumps in at the very last minute like impales it and then just kind of without looking with sort of a brock samson face of just murder and intent without looking away in direct focus on fang just dumps it onto the fire and it just i don't know why but that moment of him just like boom like not even flinching, not even doing anything, just like murderous intent in his eyes. <laughs> For some reason, that just like bloop. It's just great small, comedic timing. It's just these yeah. little little ticks, little moments, little. I mean, and in animation, you can hone that and you can focus that over time. But that's tough to do to get that timing right. Yeah, ninety percent of the time in the show it works. Other times, it's the like I mentioned earlier, the pacing's a little off. But yeah, he knows what he's doing, and he's worked with this team before, so they have a shorthand. They know how each other works. They didn't write anything out for this. This is all storyboarded. So it's all from storyboard to screen eventually. So they can kind of work it out in storyboard and that makes it a little easier because it's hard to translate like what Sean just said without the pictures to, to add it. But yeah, I mean, everything in this just, it just kind of works. Like there's nothing that I wish they would have done differently or I just want more of it. That's really my only knock. Right. Give me more. Well, speaking of more, turns out Dave had a chance to interview uh, Tartakovsky. And so we're going to turn it over to Dave and Tartakovsky for this interview. So Dave, take it away. Okay. So thank you so much for joining me today to talk about your brand new series, which I'm so excited to talk about. So first of all, (laughs) how long has the idea for Primal been on your mind and how did it all come into being? Well, I've had it for a while. I think it's got to be like almost eight or 10 years ago where I started first drawing actually this little kid with this big hair on a little T-Rex and the two were kind of just traveling around and trying to survive against different, you know, different obstacles. And it was like a, a normal kid show for like six to 11, you know, like a Dexter style. And, um, and it kind of didn't click for me. And I always believe in, um, when an idea wants to be made, it's really going to yell at me and it'll keep getting better and better that there's no denying it to come into existence. But at that iteration of it, it just kind of wasn't, I guess, maybe special enough. And so later on, I still was doodling with it. And then I started drawing it kind of in a, almost like a Tezuka type of Astro Boy style, but more, the kid was now a man. And then really things started to go to change when I started doing the last season of Samurai Jack for Adult Swim, for adults, more mature tones, more sophisticated storytelling, uh, deeper emotions, darkness, all that stuff. And then I thought, you know, and then the reaction to Jack was so strong that I, and was really strong to the, 
visceral non-dialogue sequences, right? And so I thought, can I tell a story in a series with just these these sequences? And then I was like, right, I've got that one idea about the caveman and dinosaur cavemen don't talk. And then everything started to come together. And then I kind of, as an exercise, I boarded the first episode. It was like a pilot. And I was like, right, no, this could be something. And uh, after we finished Jack, uh, my boss, Mike Lasso, goes, what's next? <laughs> and I go, well, I've got this thing. And I pitched him the storyboard, and he totally got it. And, uh, and that was it. And then we were kind of off and running. Would you consider Primal maybe kind of experimental? Would you describe it that way? Or was it just kind of an idea that you wanted to maybe test out? Maybe those are both the same thing. But would you describe it as experimental? <laughs> I definitely wouldn't. No, I mean, I, I'm, I am definitely not an experimental filmmaker. I want the mass audience to watch and like something. I want the biggest success popular uh, uh, possible. At the same time, I want to do something new. I definitely don't want to just redo something or make something because I feel it's going to be successful or it's in the, it's in the, you know, like, oh, cowboys are popular now, so let's do a cowboy show. I want it to be sincere. And, uh, and so, so experimental, I think, isn't the right word, but definitely pushing ourselves, trying to push the boundaries of storytelling. Uh, and visuals, and the way we can do something and tell a certain story and surprise people. You know, I think that's kind of more of the driving factor than rather than to do something safe and expected. You know, I think that's always, because that's exciting for us too as filmmakers, you know. Uh, what if we try these two colors together? What if we try this type of story but end it this way? What if we, you know, you always want to surprise the audience because it just makes for better viewing. Definitely. And since you mentioned that you played with the idea of minimal dialogue, letting the imagery, letting the action tell the story in Samurai Jack, what particular challenges did you face in, in kind of taking that idea to the max and having that play out through the background of all these episodes in Primal? Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, when we started, it sounded like a great idea <laughs> in the beginning. And then as we started to get the first episode um, kind of executed, I started to, and this is before sound effects, before music, where it was just picture. And I started to get worried, like, oh, I never thought of this, but are people going to miss the dialogue? Mm. Because we're so used to it. Is it an element you're going to miss? And I started to really all of a sudden have doubts, like, did I make a huge mistake? But then once we started to fill it in with sound effects and music and then him just screaming and breathing. So there is vocals coming out, right? right? Uh, that's when everything started to come together and that fear started to go away. And, uh, and I realized it's not any kind of uh, negative. It's actually going to be a positive and it's what's going to help us uh, even stand out. Yeah, and I loved it as a viewer just because, A, because it's something different, so it automatically grabs your attention because you don't hear dialogue where normally that's the driving force, but also because it really it yeah. forces you as the creator to kind of come up with new ways to tell the story and get that message across, which comes across beautifully. But as a viewer, I really have to pay attention so I don't miss anything. Yeah, and, that's, and that was one thing that I didn't even really think about. Mm. And then when we used to show the first or second episode, um, just to internally, I went to Atlanta where um, Adult Swim is, and I had the second episode, and my boss, Mike Lazo, was sitting next to me. It was like a lunchtime screening, and he grabbed a piece of pizza. 
right? <laughs> and the episode started, and he took one bite, and then his arm was elevated, holding the plate with a slice of pizza <laughs> in it for the whole 22 minutes. And that's the thing. You can't turn away. You can't turn away and just listen to the dialogue and still catch up when you look again. And after the episode was done, then he looked at his plate. He's like, oh, right. I didn't eat because I was, he was so focused in. And that's when it really dawned on me that what you're saying is exactly true. Like when you watch this show, you, you can't turn away. And that's great these days with everything vying for your attention too. So I really hope people kind of gravitate towards that. Uh, I want to talk about your character of Spear, obviously, for a second. So previously for Samurai Jack, you referenced, uh, you know, a live action martial artist, Eric Chen, for fighting poses or kind of combat style. How did you find the unique look and movement and, and fighting style for Spear in Primal? Well, it was actually the opposite of all that because we've done so much martial arts in uh, all, the, all the work that we've done. I wanted to do something different. And yeah, how do we do combat? And I'm obviously a fan of specific fighting styles and all that kind of stuff. And so how do we differentiate? And so I started to think like, right, he's got no skills. He's got no training. It's just brutal primal force. And, you know, I looked at some ape fighting, <laughs> monkeys fighting, and we didn't want to do one cool, like, superhero punch pose. It was everything was to draw it kind of brutally, and whenever we reverted back to a monkey-style sort of thing, mm -hmm. uh, it felt right, you know? So the angrier he gets, he gets more hunched over and more on for uh, using his arms and his legs. And that felt kind of really cool, and it started to really uh, come alive. And then a kind of a similar question. But that was really it. That was yeah. kind of... I was just going to say a similar question kind of for Fang. You know, he's he's sort of a, a weird combination of... It's obviously a dinosaur, but you've got a weird combination of some bird, sometimes cat-like behavior, sometimes dog-like behavior. So how did you find the personality of Fang? Fang is a she, right? Because she was like the mother of the oh, two right. dinosaurs. Um. And so for her, it was the same thing. Yeah, it was, it was kind of, she was definitely more difficult because you're so used to having creatures emote, you know, because we've done a lot of monsters and cartoony dogs and all that kind of stuff. So, but I wanted to challenge us to, you know, because like I have a big St. Bernard and I could feel everything that she feels, even though she has no change of expression. <laughs> so it's with a tilt of a head a certain pose and yeah, we kind of definitely opened it up. So it's not, there's a little dog, little cat, like you're saying, like a little variation of something that's familiar and, and animalistic still, like we're tr really trying not to do anything humanized and, you know, and, and definitely you've, you know, and, you know, like I've watched a lot of nature shows and it is amazing what animals do and how far they go with their, you know, quote unquote acting or their behavior is sometimes almost human like, but it's something that's very accessible and it became kind of our, our speech and our pattern for her. And that leads me into my next question. There was a standout moment in these episodes uh, where there's a group of mammoths and they're mourning the death of one of their own, which is behavior that we see in contemporary and modern elephants. So how much you mentioned you watched uh, nature shows and documentaries, how much of that kind of real world experience went into informing the world of primal it was 
a lot. It was a lot. I mean, I, I think we actually didn't even need to do a lot of research because we were all big fans of those shows. And there's so many, you know, probably in the last eight years or so with the BBC and all those, you know, Our Planet, Blue Planet, all those shows uh, are so well done and they're so amazing to watch that it was part of our language already going in, you know. And we're all kind of nerds that way where we're, we love, you know, we love nature. We love what it can, what, what it can present. The stories that come from it are amazing. And really the, the biggest thing that we all kind of see is when you've got that amazing looking polar bear, right? And it's beautiful and majestic. And for it to survive, he has to eat the little baby pup seal, right. <laughs> you know, who's furry and cute. And, <laughs> but one has to die for the other to exist. And that's just amazing storytelling. You know, where instead of just having something that's evil and good, you have something that's both good. And for that Mastodon episode, especially, you know, it was it was so fun to do that story because it's it's more unique. It's it's stuff that we don't get to do a lot. You know, usually we have to kind of in a way follow formulas. And you've got a good guy, you've got a bad guy, and what happens? You know, and and good triumphs over over evil. And uh, and this made everything more interesting. And you know, we want everyone to survive, but that's not the reality of, of nature. Yeah. And it wouldn't really be, uh, you know, talking about the title, it wouldn't be primal unless I had that kind of like brutal practicality and, and reality of nature, especially in this, uh, this environment that you set up where these two kind of opposing characters have to rely on each other just to survive, whether it's the weather, whether it's other predators or whether it's hunger and starvation, things like that. So that, yeah, exactly. Really exactly. Through. Yeah. Um, a That's little great. bit, a little bit more on the technical side of things. So, what was it like for you to direct literally only one actor with a little bit of Tom Kenny thrown in, uh, of course, um, in Aaron Laplante without any dialogue? How how was that experience? The back and forth between you two. It was it was very easy, and the thing is, like I've after doing fortunate enough to do so much television and experience in the booth, my main key is to get the the right actor, an actor who has great timing who has great voice. So it's not a lot of hard work to work on the acting. And I've been really fortunate to work with people like Phil Lamar and Tom Kenny and, and, and a lot of people. And so for this, uh, the origin of it is actually really funny because the guy who does the voice is this guy, Aaron LaPlante. And Aaron's kind of new to the industry. And the f way I've met him for the first time was actually he was my scratch actor for Bluto. Oh, in the Popeye feature we were doing at, at Sony. Yeah. And he's, he was just this guy who the casting agent knew. And uh, he came in and he was like this comedian. And he did groundlings and stuff. And he killed it on, on Bluto, like the funniest Bluto I've ever heard. And I really liked him. And I could hear he's got a great voice. He was a good actor. He knows timing. He knows comedy. And so when I started, and I felt bad that Popeye fell apart because right. I thought, you know, that was going to be his new vehicle. <laughs> you know, so I was going to discover him. And, uh, and it fell apart, and I kind of felt guilty in a way. But then I wanted to work with him to see what else we could do. And then when this role came out, I said, like, you know, you want to give this a shot? And it was great. And, you know, and there's always grunting on purpose. There's screaming. There is subtlety to it. And so, uh, but it's that part of us is the easiest. And the one big change that we do is we actually animate it first, where before on everything else that I've done, we always record the dialogue first, mm. and then we animate to the dialogue. 
But with this, I wanted always the visuals, the timing of the animation to drive it. And so then Aaron comes in after the show is done, and then he lays in uh, the vocals ADR to the picture. And I guess that's a little easier when you don't have to match mouth flaps or, or have that kind of time. He can just kind of come in and do his, his guttural performance enough to worry too much about uh, matching up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just more about timing. and Exactly. Uh, again, on the technical side, so you've got some of your, your teammates that you've worked with before. Um, Stephen uh, DeStefano, if I'm saying his name correctly, Scott Wills, Christian Schellewald for uh, the, uh, the art and the look of this. How did that shorthand that you have among your team members help to kind of ease the production of this series? I mean, it's everything. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's the number one thing you learn. You want to surround yourself with people that are better than you and that are really good at what they do. You know, and as soon as I met Scott for Samurai Jack, you know, back in the, you know, before we started, that was it. You know, I've never seen somebody paint like that and have that kind of color and lighting and <clears throat> and control of mood with color and, and lighting. And so you attach yourself to these people. You know, I saw Stephen DeStefano's work when he did a Dexter comic. I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. <laughs> and tried to work with him as much as I could. Same thing with Christian. I met Christian through actually Hotel Transylvania 3. And as soon as I saw his drawings, I'm like, oh, my God, I got to work with this guy. And it's it's always been the number one thing that I try to look for. I am fans. I am a fan of these people. And really, <laughs> sometimes I'll design a story just because I want to see how they're going to interpret it. You know, so it's like if you ask one of your heroes to give you a drawing or something, it's that same feeling that I get. So whenever we do an episode, I can't wait to see what what Scott comes up with. And I never say, I never go like, Oh yeah, I want, you know, I want this type of sky or anything like that. I, we always talk about mood and tone and Christian is, you know, some, you know, he's more newer to our team and working with hotel three, it was just amazing. Like he's, he's one of those guys. He kind of draws in this more illustrative, almost Mobiusy type style. Mm. And it's very different for us. And uh, it was great. It was because he brought something very new and it made Scott paint differently. It made me think about composition differently. And so, you know, that part of it is just, is, uh, is just amazing. And then kind of a similar question, but this time focusing on sound design and music. So, you know, Joel Valentine's work on this is amazing to have to kind of fill in with all these crazy creature effects and, and the background sounds. And in a, in a world that's not super busy or populated you know it's very far from like an urban city or anything like that and then you've also got tyler bates and joanne higginbottom you know doing this the composition for the score which is amazing so how did you and the the, the sound team find the unique sound for primal well for 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 joel and i've worked with joel since dexter you know he was been with me on every single show except clone wars and uh, Joe's great. He's got an amazing library. And it is like you're saying that kind of shorthand, you know, when I go up, he knows, <laughs> he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And that makes things a lot easier. Number one, number two, he's also about the craft. He wants to do things different. He wants to make it sound unique and just not use all the same that we've, uh, we've done in the past. And so for this, you know, we had a big kind of theoretical discussion before we started. And I talked about like, you want real animal sounds, but at the same time it is pulpy and it is science fiction. And so you want it to monstrify it. You want it to, you know, make it more pulpy somehow. 
uh, you know, caricature it so it sounds more, whether it's horror or more Godzilla or more fantastical. And, and that was kind of his, his, uh, his challenge. And he, what's great about Joel is he's totally self-motivated to go outside of what's available just in the States and whatever. And he found these crazy elephant libraries that this guy, you know, went to India and recorded elephants for months. And he found these, like, I think, uh, some vocal library from the seventies in Germany of these monster, these people are doing monster sounds. And so it, it makes it all very unique. And, and that's the thing, just as much as, as much time as we spend with trying to make the visuals look specific, everybody's got to follow up, you know, and then music was the same thing. Music was a gigantic challenge. And probably, I think, not, not, I wouldn't say struggle is the word, but finding its voice, especially when you're, when you're starting on a new show. And I really, you know, I'm a big fan of music and I, I, Everything that I do, I want it to be very specific and unique for this show, for whatever show that I'm doing. And, uh, and to find the musical voice of the show was, was difficult. We went to, cause you want it to be primal. And at the same time, like at first I started, well, you know, uh, maybe it should all be organic because, you know, organic instruments is where it all started from. But then it totally lost any kind of energy. And so we then brought electrical and, and messing around with the organic sounds. And, and then all of a sudden you start to develop a sound and then you hear one cue like, Oh, there it is. Right. That feels right. And, and then it, and then it becomes easier after that. Gotcha. I thought it sounded absolutely amazing. And it was very like immersive too. It was a unique sound, but it got you into that. Uh, environment. Uh, before I run out of time with you, just out of curiosity, do you have plans for more Primal in the future, or was this always kind of conceived of as a limited series? No, no. We we talked about doing more. We talk about doing more, and um, the big question is, you know, are people going to like it <laughs> and going to respond? And so, you know, you got to, you know, it's it's TV. It's my schedule. I think Adult Swim has been super responsive to all these episodes. They've been amazingly supportive and I think they want more. And so now it's, you know, I do want it to come out and see how people react and then, uh, and then see how everything falls into my schedule, you know, cause a lot of times like, you know, in Hollywood, you got to have kind of seven things going. Sure. And then hopefully one of those seven is going to go through. And so right now, you know, it's on, it's on the slate. And now we're going to have to figure out how everything's going to fall in line with everything else. Well, speaking of everything else that you currently have going on, a little off topic, but do you have any updates on Sony's Hotel Transylvania 4 that you could talk about? Uh, nope. They're, you know, it's, they're in the writing process and, uh, you know, I'm not directing it. So uh, we hired a director and everything. And so it's moving slowly forward. Fair enough. And my last question for you today, what is up next for you uh, other than waiting to unleash Primal uh, on other viewers out there? Well, we're actually still finishing up episodes. <laughs> and so that's still going to be a continuous process. And I have my two movies that are getting a little bit more speed at uh, Sony Pictures Animation. Um, so that's kind of the plate right now. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for your time as a fan of yours from a very young age. It's been an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. And Primal's absolutely amazing. I can't wait to see the fifth episode. And I can't wait for all your fans out there to check it out as well. So thanks again. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Good job, past Dave. <laughs> Good job, former Dave.
Oh God. Gemini, Gemini man, Dave. Oh, is this like a Star Trek situation where I got teleported out and they nuked I'm, my old body and my new one is a clone or something? That is 100% what happened. Oh, so no. I know. Get ready. That explains why I feel like I blacked out during that interview and can't remember actually <laughs> giving it. I mean, think about it, though. Like, we've been following Tartakovsky, whether we knew it or not, since we were, like, 10 years old. I mean, he, yeah. he did early work on, like, Two Stupid Dogs, Batman the Animated Series. Made one of our, or did in-betweens, I think, one of our favorite episodes, or maybe just mine. The one with Kyodai Ken, the Night of the Ninja. Yeah. Back in the day. fantastic episode. I mean, that was, you know, 26, 27 years ago. And, and yeah. I then got a chance to talk to him about this brand new show that very few people have seen yet. So there are a few moments in this job and in this industry where I have like minor freakouts that I have to contain. And that was definitely one of them. Well, Dave, we're now at the point where we can give our actual recommendation about this show. Oh, good. So let's freak out a little bit about Ooh. it. So for anybody who is listening for the first time, the way that our recommendations actually function here is that we can say that we want to recommend something and we can give you the reason why. We can say that we don't recommend something and we can give a justification. And if we don't recommend something, we can go one step further and we can give it the who framed Roger Rabbit style dip, which erases it from the annals of cartoon history, never to be talked about on this podcast again, unless it's in jest, I guess. We've we've also dipped a lot of stuff recently that has not just been cartoons. So this could get really, really weird very, very quickly for us here today. So, Dave, final thoughts, recommendations on Primal. I'm going to give it 100% for the episodes that I've seen, which works out to an 80%. Uh, wow. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, and this is dumb, because we've given our recommendations before based on one episode of a series that had like 65 episodes. But right. I'm going to be dumb today and say that, yeah, I definitely recommend it. I'm just, I just want to see what happens in that fifth episode. But I definitely yeah. re- recommend it, and I do not, you know, not going to dip it, not going to erase it from existence. That would be cruel. What about yeah, you, I, I agree with you as well. Uh, this is a definite recommend. Yeah. This was a lot of fun to watch, and out of the hour and 20 minutes that we've watched so far, I agree with Dave. I just want to see that final 22 minutes of this just to kind of round out this five-part, you know, uh, arc that they have that's going here and just sort of see if this is going to open it up to to more who knows this they there could be a very fatal ending to these five episodes it could be old yeller style it could be like that level i don't know what's gonna happen oh by the way this is not like land before time if you've made it this far into our talk and think like hmm me and the kids should watch this together no this isn't like little foot and his pals like make sure they're able to watch adult stuff first it's little foot and pals if dimitri tried to eat people or it's 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 the land before time if the first episode, or first movie ended with Scarface. Was that his name? Scar Tooth? Sharp Tooth. Sharp Tooth. Scarface to Sharp Tooth. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you, know, you know, Scarface the gangster dinosaur. Uh, oh, boy. If it ended with Sharp Tooth just eating all the kid dinosaurs, and they never made the next 18 Land Before Times, yeah, that's what Primal would be like. That could have been good, and it also could have been bad. So yeah. that's a 50-50 for me. The but... good news is we'll still get Scarface the dinosaur in the future. <laughs> Just as like a dinosaur mobster. Yeah, just like with with a top hat for some reason. Al Caponosaurus. I love it. Awful. Yep. So that is two for two definite recommendations for Primal. Absolutely, definitely go check this out. For the five nights that this is going to be airing on Adult Swim, please go check this out. We really hope that they make more episodes of this. Plus, we really want to see the fifth and final episode of this series as well. We'll watch it live with you guys probably. Yeah, exactly. That would be very exciting. So that is it for Primal. 
So thank you so much for listening. And we also want to give a big shout out and a thank you to our friend Bobby Anthem. You heard him on this week's episode. You can also hear him on his paranormal podcast, Inhuman Experience, with his co-host Bobby Blades. You can find them on Twitter at IEXP underscore podcast. And Bobby has also started a solo show called In Search of My Lost Soul. It's available along with the Inhuman Experience podcast. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, I definitely recommend going and checking out In Search of My Lost Soul. It's really wonderful. Dave, what do you got going on? Oh, you know, same old stuff. You can find me over at Collider.com. You can check me out on Twitter at Dr. Claw MD. And if you're a book-reading sort of caveman or woman, you can check out The Science of Breaking Bad, available from MIT Press anywhere books are sold. How about you, bud? As always, I perform live improv comedy with a group that's called Knox. That's N-O-X exclamation point. We perform with Washington Improv Theater. You can find tickets and times at witdc.org. And I'm always on Twitter and Instagram. Please help. He's always At Sean on it. Paul Ellis. Always I would on like, it. I'd like to not be on it anymore. It'd be great to not be on it. Just DDoS him. Wait, don't do that. No, don't do that. Sorry, don't do that. Oh my God. Want to support us here at the show? Tell a friend and then DDoS me, I guess. Mm-hmm. But also review us on Apple iTunes. That'd be pretty cool. And then DDoS them because that'll take the heat <laughs> off of us. Slide into our DMs on Twitter at Morning Tunes. Remember, that's morning with a U. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Saturday Morning Cartoons. Drop us an old-fashioned email at SaturdayMorningCartoons at gmail.com. You can find all of these links, everything that we've mentioned in this week's episode, in the link tree, which is in the bio for all of our social media sites. And as always, you can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever fine podcasts are sold. That is it. For today's episode. Oh man, go check out Primal Gang. Go this is a out. really good show. Yeah, it's really fun. Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you next time. Later. Hey everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Saturday Morning Cartoons. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to transform and roll out.